0: We have truly experienced the presence of the Lord this morning in worship, and it's because we've had singers that know not just the song, but they know the shepherd. I pray that that's been true of you this morning, that as you have sung every time we gather in this place, and as you sung, these are the things that I call you, and these are the things that you have been to me, Jehovah Jireh. You have been holy and are holy. You have been faithful and will be faithful. All of those things spring out of His Word and give us confident assurance that we have hope reserved for us in heaven. Amen? I don't know about you, but every once in a while, now and again, I just get homesick. Homesick. Longing to be with Jesus knowing that we're just passing through here, knowing that the new Jerusalem, knowing that the new heaven and the new earth are coming, and there will be a glorious, glorious reunion on that day. I I don't know about you, but I love gifts. Do you like gifts? Anybody? Anybody want one? Well, it's an empty bag. If you need a gift bag to give away to somebody else, you're more than welcome to have it. I just brought it for illustrative purposes, but I thought it was kind of cool with a little monkey on it. It says, it's your day. So I don't know if this is a, a birthday bag or if it's just you can give it to somebody and say, hey, today is your day. But I love gifts. I am terrible, terrible about giving gifts. Now, I, I do well with giving them, but I'm terrible about keeping surprises when it comes to gifts. I always give myself away. I mean, Stephanie will ask, can I get a hint? And I'll say, yeah, it's this big and this, well, here it is. And I'll just give it to her. I'm terrible at that. I love to receive gifts as well. There's just something special. I have gifts in my office that missionary friends have given me at different places where I've gone and served. And I've kept those as reminders to pray for them. And I love keeping those little knickknacks all over my office because they remind me of somebody. The gift is symbolic. I like gifts. I love to watch people open gifts. I don't know about you, but, but that's just a, a highlight. And, and you know this kind of Christmas sort of changes as your children begin to grow and, or your grandchildren you watch through a specific age of their lives where there's still a magic and a wonder. I, I've got at least 20 full years of video that look exactly alike except the date being changed. We know that there's going to be a lot of giggling, And then there's going to be running because we've kept them at bay till a certain time. And then they're going to come running down the stairs. And from giggling and running, it'll turn into squealing and screaming. And then just chaos ensues as they begin to tear open presents. And in just a moment's notice, turn our house into a literal sea of wrapping paper and and bows and ribbons everywhere to clean up. It's always the same. But it never gets old. The excitement of them unwrapping The gifts. Well, today I want us to continue in our series. It matters how you behave. And I want us to think about spiritual giftedness. And I want to say to you, by title of the sermon, and just by a word of encouragement to you, congratulations, you are gifted. God has given gifts throughout the body to all of us. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. We're going to continue there. We looked last week at Romans 12, and we sort of broke down the book of Romans saying that the first half of the book or the first section of the book is an explanation of the gospel. And then we move toward our response to the gospel. How are we to respond? How now should we live? And we talked last week about how our lives should be living sacrifices and it's a reasonable thing to give ourselves. It's not extreme at all that if God has touched your life with the gospel, with the good news, it is not at all an extreme thought that you would run toward him and give give yourself fully to him and wholeheartedly to him. And now I want you to see that after you've made that kind of a commitment to say, Lord, here I am, take me, use me, fill me, shape me. God has a design for you inside the body of Christ. And that body design includes spiritual giftedness. So we'll look together at these wonderful things. And as we do, I think that we'll glean some powerful truth. Before we read the text, I'd love for us to look together at our statement of affirmation. If you remember, for every single one of these, we've given you just a simple statement, and I want us to read it together. I know and use my spiritual gifts to accomplish God's purposes. Let's say that again. I know and use my spiritual gifts to accomplish God's purposes. I don't know if you can truly make that statement this morning as an affirmative statement of your own truth, your own life. Do you know your spiritual gifts? Do you know how God has shaped you and uniquely endowed you by His Spirit to serve here in the body and in the world? It is critically important. And church, I want to tell you this. As we move toward the fall and as we begin to sort of continue to lay foundation in my first year as pastor, one of the things I want to do is begin to develop Very focused discipleship. And one of the things we will do is encourage everyone to learn their spiritual gift. Not just taking some test that tells you here are your top two or three and you can then be excluded from doing other things. I've seen so many people do that. They'll take a spiritual gifts test. Say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism so I don't have to witness. Eh, Wrong answer. Sorry. Thank you for playing. The Bible's clear. You are called and commanded to be a witness. But God uniquely endows us with gifts from His Spirit to serve in powerful ways. And as we serve Him, according to those gifts and the measure of grace that He's given us in our lives, the body flourishes. Do you realize that God has designed this whole thing to be interdependent, interconnected? You need me and I need you. I cannot sing like others in our church can sing, and you better be glad of it. If I could sing the way that some of the people in our church could sing, there would be two of me. I would be beside myself, and you wouldn't like either one of us because we'd both be obnoxious. He didn't give me that gift. But there are other gifts that are given throughout the body, things that you can do that I can't do. Things perhaps that I can do that you can't. And we're not to be jealous of one another's gifts. We're not to be covetous of those things. We celebrate them, and, the th- and and we just thank God for them, for musical abilities, for teaching abilities, or leadership, or service, or hospitality. So as we look at our text together, in light of this statement, I hope that you would at least begin to realize how important it is to learn your gifts, learn about yourself, and then begin to exercise them. And like muscles uh, being exercised with, resistance with weights. They, your gifts grow stronger and you grow stronger in your gifts. Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 3. Let's read together. This is the Word of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. According to the grace given us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in serving. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, in with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy and cheerfulness, listen to these words church, love must be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, show family affection to one another with brotherly love, outdo one another in showing honor, do not lack diligence, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in in their needs, pursue or practice hospitality. There's a lot there for us to consider and I want us to pray and ask God to just speak to our hearts this morning. But especially in light of this matter of exercising our spiritual gifts. Father, I thank you for our time this morning and I pray that it would be profitable for each of us that in your word and from your word we would glean truth illuminated to us by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the diversity in this body and the family of faith that you have created it to be. May your church be found faithful, functioning with all of the many parts, working in their gifts. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I could probably start a brand new series today and just talk about spiritual gifts for some time. And and so there's some things that we'll need to address, but today we don't have time. We're not talking about individual gifts today. We're not talking about what they are, how they function, how they operate. What we are talking about today is that they must operate. That if you are sitting on the sideline, that if you are not investing your time, talent, and treasure and your spiritual gifts, those endowments of the Spirit, for the building up of this body and of the kingdom, then you are missing out, and so are we. The reality is that that divine design is set up in such a way that you and I are to use those gifts. Now, gifts, uh, spiritual gifts, are not just talents. Many people have unique talents that don't know the Lord. They're athletically talented people. They're musically talented people, and they're not saved. Those are not spiritual gifts. That's just part of the common grace of God and His creation of those people. But the reality is when we get saved, and the Bible said it here, as a measure of grace, He proportions out to us even a measure of faith. And He gives to us gifts. I want to give you a couple of thoughts about gifts, though, just in general. These are not in your notes, but you can look at them. I want to give you seven quick words, and this would be a fascinating study, but I want you to see these. Every Christian... Every Christian, all seven of these words fit uh, in the middle of this sentence. Every Christian is, number one, created for ministry. All right? We're created for doing ministry. You, you can jot down the words if you want to, but I just want you to hear these. We're all created for ministry. We were designed for serving Him. Ephesians 2, 10 says that. It says in verses 8 and 9, you're saved by grace through faith. And verse 10 says, four works. You are to be his handiwork, his craftsmanship, and you have works to do. So you're created to to serve. You're not only created to serve, you're called to serve and called to do ministry. Every single one of us. If I were to ask this morning, how many ministers are in the room? Some of you would look at others around you and you would say, well, I know he was a retired missionary. He was a retired pastor. I would imagine he's a minister or he's a minister. No, all of us are called to do the work of ministry. Ephesians 4, in fact, says that my job as a pastor is to work myself continually out of a job. How? By equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. We're all created and called. Thirdly, I want you to see this. We're all gifted. We're all gifted to do works of service. Not everybody has the same gift. I've said that over and over again. And you don't have to necessarily know your gift, but I think it's healthy for you at least to look at your life and see how you're wired. My my grandmother uh, passed away in her 90s, and she had never in her life taken a spiritual gifts inventory. Never. Uh, You could have asked her, what is your spiritual gift? And she'd say, well, I don't know. But you begin to ask her what she loved to do, what she liked to do, and watch her life and see what she did, and you would immediately know that the gift of hospitality was all over her. She would bake pies on Tuesday on an off chance that somebody was coming by her house. Now, there was never anybody that dropped by her house on an off chance. know why? Because they knew that she had baked pies on the off chance that she (laughs) might have company. So it was this wonderful cycle. I know I'm going to see Mamaw because Mamaw's got something good to eat. And and Mamaw would cook and she would say uh, to people after church, well, just come and eat with us. And it became this routine deal and she'd feed 30 or 40 people on a Sunday and you would think, how in the world did she? Well, I just kind of whipped something up. knowing good and well, she'd been cooking for a month. Why? Because every single dash... Every pinch, every scoop, every cup, every stir was all done with other people in mind. The gift of hospitality was in every bit of her cooking. And it wasn't just about food, it was about fellowship. It was about bringing people together. But she practiced hospitality. We have a church filled with people here that have that gift. I've watched it happen. You have served, you've rolled your sleeves up. Service is a gift that I have watched in this church. People who have dedicated themselves to various committee works, or uh, we have many who are gifted in teaching. But all of us are gifted in some way. The reality is, though, the church functions, and you've heard me use this illustration, much like a football game. A football game is uh, defined this way. There are 22 men out on the field in desperate need of some rest, and there are 22,000 in the stands in desperate need of some exercise. The reality, some of y'all are going to go home and appreciate that later. That's the truth. You've sat with those people in that stadium, and so have I. The reality is, though, the vast majority of people are sitting on the sideline, not serving, not working, and, and sometimes we have relegated it to just a two, two or three gifts. It's so sad. We say, well, if you're going to serve, you need to teach Sunday school or sing in the choir. And you say, well, I'm not a teacher, and I'm not musically inclined, so there's no place for me to serve. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We have people in this church that desperately need to use their gift of faith and begin praying in the intercessory prayer room. I want to see people come to life. My desire there is long-term to see people that are praying every time we gather for worship. Why? They're using their gifts. You, you mean to tell me, Brother Scott, you're wanting some people that won't actually be in here? Yes, I am saying that. I'm not saying I'm, I'm wanting them to not to be active in church. I'm wanting them to be more active in church. I want people to step up and say, I'll go to a corner room somewhere and I'll pour my heart out and ask God to save people while you're preaching. I'll ask God to save people while the choir's singing. I'll ask God to move. I want to see intercession used in that gift. Why? Because every one of us is gifted. We're not only uh, created for and called to, but we're gifted to do works of ministry. Does that make sense, yes or no? All right, we're moving along. We haven't even gotten to our outline. I promise you we're going to get there. We're all authorized. I love this. The Great Commission very simply says this. All authority has been given to me. And Jesus said, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means you don't have to wait on somebody to tell you to use your gift. You don't need to sit around and say, well, the pastor never asked me to do anything. God has commanded you and gifted you and authorized you to do works of ministry. So if this church really began to catch fire with that notion, if people individually would rise up and say, I've got an idea for ministry, I've got a desire for ministry, we would turn you loose, we'll equip you, we'll help you in any ways we can, and we want you to serve. You know, it happens over and over again in church life. Somebody will catch me in the hallway or they'll call me and say, Pastor, I want to schedule an appointment. They'll come by. And they'll say, I really, really, really think our church needs, and you fill in the blank, this ministry, that ministry. And what they are saying to me is, I think that that ministry would serve me and others like me well. And pastor, I want you and our staff or somebody else to do it. Well, if somebody comes to me and says, I really think that we should do that ministry, I say, praise God that he's called you to start that ministry. And usually that's the end of that meeting. Same thing's true with witnessing and 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 it happens this way. Brother Scott, Brother Ken, happens to him all the time. Brother Ken, my sister's in the hospital. Would you go share Jesus with her? I'll go with you, and you can share Christ with her. Why in the world would I want to rob you of the blessing of sharing the good news with that loved one? The, the point is we have crippled ourselves to believe that only certain people are authorized to do ministry or gifted, but we're all gifted. And beyond being commanded, we're all needed. We're all needed for works of ministry, and ultimately we're all rewarded for it. Now, those seven words could have been a sermon series in and of themselves. We're created, we're called, we're gifted, we're authorized, commanded, needed, and rewarded to do ministry. However, don't lose sight of this. It is for every believer. I don't want to go to heaven empty-handed. My longing to be in that new Jerusalem, to see Jesus, is to come before him. And the Bible talks about all kinds of rewards that are there for the believer to lay those crowns at the feet of Jesus and to worship him and to magnify him. And back to our text and where we want to to ultimately go is to see that Paul is saying the body is designed with this unique gifting of, of each individual part and it works together as a whole. One more thing I I really feel like we need to address just very quickly. When you think about gifts, some people start getting squirmy and they worry about these. There were three types of gifts in the New Testament. There were sign gifts, there were speaking gifts, and there were serving gifts. Now, again, we don't have time to get into all of the details of those today. The sign gifts were miracles and healings. You saw those through the hand of Paul when a handkerchief was touched and somebody was healed. And and we see those gifts in that apostolic time as we see a rapid dissemination of the gospel. And then there were speaking gifts, the gifts of tongues. And we'll deal with those at a future date as we think about what God has has placed there. Oftentimes they were a gift of hearing and they were known languages and they were for the benefit of the whole body. Often what we see today has nothing to do with a New Testament picture of tongues. When somebody just gets up and there's no interpretation, I start saying, time out. This doesn't fit with Scripture, and it's drawing attention to an individual, not to Jesus. If it draws attention to Jesus, amen. Now, I've got a lot of friends that are cessationists. They believe tongues no longer exist. I just simply don't think we need to ever put God in a box anywhere. And I've heard stories, but I've never once in my experience or life seen somebody in the biblical pattern follow along. And I think that's important for us to see. Again, if it's going to match up with with. The Bible, then I want every bit of it. In fact, I, I was talking to Dr. Jimmy Stewart down on the coast this week. He was one of the several men that I asked about that whole issue, and he said, "You know, I've come to the place where I've prayed and said, God, if there's ever something that's not of uh, uh, that, that's not in my life that you want for me, I want it." And he said, "God's never given me any inclination to do that." And and all I'm saying there is, we need to be very careful that we don't get off into something that is divisive. Or derailing that leads us away from Jesus. And I will say this point blank. If something ever takes the emphasis away from Jesus Christ. It is not of God. Period. Now let's move back to this. Four things I want you to see very, very quickly. We'll talk about those things later. We'll get into to the specifics of the gift. But look at, with me at Romans 12. Number one, I want you to see this. Consider... The body illustration. Consider the body illustration. Paul uses the body as a picture for the church. Why? Do you realize how complex the human body is? You say, well, I got two ears and two eyes and a nose and mouth. You're right, but what else have you got? You say, well, I got two arms and two legs and two feet and two hands. Yeah, but what else? Keep going. Well, I got ten fingers. Okay, that means you got ten fingernails. I got ten toes and ten toenails. Oh, by the way, you start thinking about this, you've got seven and a half trillion cells in your body. You've got miles and miles of electrical wiring and nervous wiring and plumbing all over. If you look at your circulatory system, think about this. Circulatory, digestive, endocrine, immune, lymphatic, muscular, nervous, respiratory, reproductive, all of these different systems that are in place. Your body is a magnificent creation. I mean, you just begin to think about the the division of cells and the DNA that's encoded in those tiny little microscopic cells, and each piece of that DNA could fill volumes of encyclopedias, and God is in control of all of it. God is the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. God is the one that put all those things together. His knowledge, His wisdom is so far beyond anything we can comprehend. And when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tried to grasp language that would help us understand what a church should look like, he said, it's a body. I love that picture. There are lots of pictures of the church I love. I love, we've said, the faith family. Love that. I love that we are the bride of Christ, that he is the bridegroom, that picture. But I love this idea that the church is a body. Jesus Christ is the head, and we follow him. And look back with me again for just a moment at that text and think through what he's saying here. What a powerful statement. Let me get back to it. He says to us, very simply, for it's by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think more highly of himself. Instead, think Uh, sensibly as, as God has distributed a measure of faith for each one. You see, God has graced each of us with a sense of faith and he's gifted us. When you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in your life, indwells your life. I I talked about that last week. There was a supernatural movement that happened early on where people came to Christ and then power came from the Holy Spirit. But in our lives, in our days, after that apostolic age, we know nothing of a Christian Not having the fullness of the Spirit. We can be filled over and over again, but there's one baptism in the Holy Spirit, and it came when you got saved. And when you got saved, and when you were baptized into the Holy Spirit, you were given spiritual gifts. And you and I better start using them. This body-life picture, consider the illustration. Oh, if we camped out there for any length of time. The body picture is that there are many, many parts, and every single part counts. When something in your life, uh, in your body physically shuts down, wears out, stops working, the rest of your body suffers. We have to find inter- intervention from outside, from a doctor or from a prayer. But the reality is our body needs to function with all of the gifts working together. And you and I need to begin to see that for us when we think about this idea verse 5 in the same way who many in one body in Christ individually members of one another according to the grace given us number two I want you to see this not only do you need to consider that idea that this church is made up of lots of different parts but secondly commit to your individual responsibility within the body I think Paul reminds us here very simply that we are individuals. We're saved individually. We're gifted individually. But we're called together. But don't lose sight of this, please. And students, don't lose sight of this. Young people, don't lose sight of this. Jesus loves you. He saves you individually. He made you individually. And God has in his family some pretty unique people. I mean, there's some strange ducks in the body of Christ. Amen? Some of you are kind of looking out of the corner. Don't look at anybody. Don't point at anybody. I'm talking about other places. There are some strange ducks in the body of Christ, but they're part of his family, and the diversity of the body of Christ is wonderful. I I just want us to hear this, though. God uniquely created you to be you. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be a teacher or a musician or a singer or whatever else that you're not. Be you. God created you to be you, And, and in this current culture and and I can speak this very very boldly because I've seen it happen in our community and in other communities there is a rash a wave of suicide going on in this generation and there are students that don't believe they measure up to some false idea of what magazine show and television shows and the internet shows and the reality is Satan is having a field day, coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And they were created in the image of God. And I pray that our students would hear very, very clearly that God loves them and gifts them individually. This body life is made up of individual parts that function together for the glory of God and for the work of ministry under the headship of Jesus. And you and I need to commit to our individual role. You see, when I don't play my part, then somehow, somewhere, something goes undone. Now, I'm not saying it's all about me because I could say that about you. When you're not here for a time, if you're not in a Sunday school class, there may have been a part of that discussion that God wanted to use a word from you to speak to that class. You need to be a part of the body. And I'm asking you to commit to your individual part. Does that make sense? That's about seven of you and part of my choir. Even my choir didn't get all that one. Does that make sense, choir? Amen. We're heading toward our conclusion. Think about this. We're reminded very clearly in verse 6 that we are, are called to this, that when we're saved, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and He begins to move and work in our lives. Number three, cherish the interconnected relationships within the body. Cherish those. I love this in verse 9 it says love must not be with uh, love must be without hypocrisy detest evil cling to what is good show family affection to one another here's what I'm saying do what God gifted to you and leave others to do what God gifted them to do and don't be jealous of their gifts but serve and when you serve recognize the interconnected relationship recognize how they need you and you need them. And and I know I sound like I'm just bombing the rubble, but all I'm trying to say, if you don't get anything out of all that I've said, just know this, God by design has given you responsibility in this body. I believe that every member of this church and every church ought to have two things. You ought to write this down, it's not in your notes. You need to have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. Let me say that again. Every Christian ought to have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. And your ministry ought to be so focused on serving the body like verse 9 says that you are showing hospitality like it says in verse 13. You're practicing it. That your response here in the body makes this place better do you realize when you got here this morning the air conditioner was already on and the lights were turned on and somebody had typed the words to the song that you sing and the choir had practiced and the musicians had practiced and your sunday school teacher had studied and somebody unlocked the doors and somebody turned off the alarm and on and on and on somebody made coffee and some of you said thank you jesus to that i have watched We've got some Christian addicts in our church. We need to start a coffee recovery ministry because some of you guys just lined up. If we served it by IV, I think some people would take one. I get worried about it. I'm going to hide the coffee. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. I'm not even going to play that way. All I'm saying is all those things happen behind the scenes. Why? Because somebody stepped up and did their job. And what else could be done? What other ministries could we pursue? What other ministries could we develop and be a part of if every single person would be a part of that? And last one I want you to see, and we'll close this out. Notice there's a caution here that we need to have the right heart attitude. Three words are listed in, there in the text that we need to see. He says you need to do all that I'm telling you to do with simplicity, diligence, and cheerfulness. I won't go into the great detail of all those, but the word simplicity very simply means free from mental pretense or hypocrisy with sincerity. It must be done with a pure heart. Let us minister for Jesus without any thought of self. It's serving others, not self-serving. We should serve Him for His glory, not for our personal gain. And when he says that, don't let it be with hypocrisy. What he's saying is there are a whole lot of people in the church. The inclination is I'll serve if I'll get credit. I'll serve if I'll get my name put in the bulletin. I'll serve if they'll give me a, a props from the, the pulpit. I'll serve if they'll give me recognition. It's not about that. I don't need or want recognition. I want Jesus to get glory. So I serve without hypocrisy. Secondly, I serve with diligence. That just means with haste, with speed, with earnestness. Here's what it says Serve to the very best of your ability. Serve to the very best of your ability. And ultimately, he says, do it with joy. If you'll serve the Lord selflessly, if you'll serve the Lord diligently, you can begin to serve him with greater levels of joy. Now, some of you say, you know what, Brother Scott, I've served for a long time in this church, and I applaud that. I am thankful. God's not done with you yet. This side of the new Jerusalem, all of us have work to do. We don't know if we're promised another minute, another hour, another day, another decade. But the reality is we need to be found faithful. Now, this is how it all ties together before we sing a hymn of response. How do you find your spiritual gift? Number one, just start serving. Some of you have got time on your hands. We've asked some months ago for 40 people to come and spend one hour in the prayer room a week. We're not there yet. We need others. Come and pray. Bring a friend. Pray with them. We've got a great need in just a couple of weeks with Bible school. You say, oh, I'm way past. That's not my spiritual gift at all, Scott. Brother, uh, no, no, third grader's not my spiritual gift. I just want you to come and pray. Come and be a part of the worship rally at the beginning. Some of you might be interested in taking a little sign in a group of third graders from station to station to station. We need people to do that. We need people to help with snacks and with, with crafts. Would you be willing to step up and serve? There's a ministry in the church. We haven't even gotten to the mission in the world yet, but that can happen. Just bit by bit, just begin serving. Look at your life and say, what are the things that God has given me interest to do? What has God gifted me to do? And When you begin to see those things, you'll discover your spiritual gifts. Moving toward the fall, we'll use some tools. I, I may put out there a, a simple inventory. There's tons of them that will help you to at least get a, a simple diagnosis of what your spiritual gifts are. And that can help you to determine where you need to serve. All I'm saying is we need all hands on deck. Every single person in this church serving as a many-membered body. Brother Scott, I can't do much, but you can do what God's called you to do. And when you do, it makes all the difference in the world for the entire body. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you for the encouragement from the Apostle Paul that we should serve without self-seeking hypocrisy, that we should serve with great joy. God, I pray for each and every person that's here this morning that that you would begin to just stir in our hearts a, a longing and a desire under the leadership of your Holy Spirit to serve you faithfully. God, I still believe there are great, great days ahead for this congregation for this city and for this nation. I believe that we stand at the front end of a great awakening. I believe, God, you're going to raise up a generation of Christians who seek after you with their whole hearts, and we cannot even imagine what that would look like and will look like, but we trust you for it. God, I thank you for today, and I pray that you've spoken to somebody's heart about service. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a hymn of decision. Perhaps the need of your life is to unite with our church. Perhaps the need of your life is to be saved. You're not a part of that many-membered body yet. We would love for you to come. We'll share with you what you can do to be saved by trusting, receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll share with you what it takes to join our church. Very simply, we would love to meet with you. So we're here at the front. Let's all sing together.